Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the best of the Roto Experts in the morning. I remember Chris Thompson last year before he got hurt. I absolutely love that guy. Out of all the pass-catching backs in the NFL, uh, I don't think that any, and at least uh, hopefully recovers the ability, of, I, I don't think any in the, in the entire NFL has the explosive ability to score in a single play like Chris Thompson. Now, of course, he's not built for regular carries, which is why they drafted Darius Geis. 5'8", 191 pounds. Fifth season out of Florida State. I don't think there's anybody more dangerous in the NFL to a defense when he's got the ball in his hands as a receiver from the running back position than Chris Thompson. And if you look at some of the receiving games last year, uh, I, th- I think it's, it's you, know, you certainly saw some flashes of it and what he can do against uh, against the Raiders. Six carries for 150 yards with a long of 74 yards. When I saw that, I said, wow, Chris Thompson is going to be a hot pickup. Then against the 49ers, four catches for 105 yards with a long of 49. Against the Cowboys, eight catches, 76 yards, long of 26. And he also had a 27-yard reception against the great Minnesota Vikings defense, which arguably could be the best defense in fantasy football this year. So if you want to get some of those pass-catching backs, even though Darius Geis is coming into uh, Washington, is probably going to take over as the lead guy right now, I have to believe that uh, Chris Thompson is going to retain a role there because I don't know if they want Geis to be an every-down back. As physical as he is, he's so physical that he's injury-prone. And... You know, that is definitely a concern when it comes to Darius Geis. But you got to keep an eye on these pass-catching running backs. You know, some of these guys, if you're not going to go running back, say, in the first three rounds, these are players that can certainly bolster your production and maybe even start for you. I know people talk about Theo Riddick, but I think I, I don't think Theo Riddick is a thing anymore. I really don't. Uh, he was in 2015. But uh, over the last few years, the amount of receptions has certainly gone down. The stats, the stats have gone down. I think, I think Theo Riddick is actually overrated, uh, overrated over the last few years. Now you look at him in 2015. You know, let's just go look at the receiving stats, not the rushing stats. In 2015, 80 catches for 697 yards, three touchdowns. Then the year after that, dipped to 53 catches for 371 yards and five touchdowns. And last year, 53 catches for 444 and two touchdowns. So I think uh, I think people basing it a lot 
on what we saw in 2015. But you really look at it, Theo Riddick's been a one-year wonder in terms of receiving. Let's look at his game log from last year. He started off the season, carried six for 27 and a touchdown against the Arizona Cardinals. You think, okay, Theo Riddick is back. That's uh, And the, the, the rushing numbers never really count in. He only had 286 rushing yards last year. Last year, uh, then it gets the Giants three catches for 17 yards, four for 38, one for eight. Then he had four for 45 against the Panthers, five for 45 against uh, against New Orleans. So that's eight, and that's nine. It's not bad, but you're expecting better because you're not getting the rushing yards. Two for 24 against the Steelers, four for 62 against the Packers, but then he... Then he had a three-game stretch in which he caught just five passes for 28 yards. There was a 6-for-64 late in the season against Tampa Bay, but then a 3-for-12, a 2-for-12, a 3-23. Just not the kind of guy you want in your flex every week. I think Theo Riddick's kind of overrated, especially when you break it down and you look at the game log. So who are those type of pass-catching running backs that could really help you in PPR leagues if you're going to dig deep and go the zero-wide receiver theory? Like uh, like Mike Leone points out in his zero-running-back and zero-wide receiver theory article uh, on rotoexperts.com and the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. But some people may be worried about Chris Thompson's health. Uh, you know, It always depends on the type of injury, how the player heals, because every player heals differently. And Chris Thompson, uh, according to, to the latest report from ESPN, they're say, they were saying in May they don't expect uh, that his role is going to change. He's coming back from a broken leg in December and was expected to need about six months to recover. So he should be good, at least according to the last reports that we've seen from ESPN. But of course, you still want to see how these guys look in camp and how they look in the preseason before you make your estimations about how much they can actually contribute to your fantasy team. So I always go over to InsideInjuries.com when I really want to know uh, what a player, what is going to be expected from a player, what their injury recovery estimated return date is and you just go to inside injuries and you type in the name of the player in the the search box and I'm looking at Chris Thompson right now and I'm wondering if it wonder if it's updated uh because they talk I I don't think it's updated right now but I, when they update their database I think it's going to, I think I definitely want to check out what they say about Chris Thompson, but I haven't seen any uh, reports where they're indicating that he shouldn't be ready for the season. So let's look for some more reports to come out of camp. But right now I have him ranked at 37. 39th is Tariq Cohen. And I believe with this new coaching staff that Tariq Cohen is a guy that was misused last year. And really, if you're going to go zero running back theory and look for those type of pass catchers, uh, you know, Matt Nagy should be and his team should know much more what to do with with Tariq Cohen than what we saw last year. 
So I was talking about how much I like Tariq Cohen as well. Uh, Duke Johnson at number 42. I just worry with Duke Johnson that now with Jarvis Landry in there and the receiving crew is going to be much better. It's going to have Josh Gordon for a full season. David Njoku is going to take a step forward. I kind of worry about his numbers declining just a little bit. So I think there's a floor there with Duke Johnson, but kind of worried about the ceiling as well. I think Corey Clement, who I have at number 45 in PPR and rotoexperts.com, is a very interesting case. Uh, you know, Jay, now that Legarra Blunt is not there, Jay Ajayi should definitely become the featured back. But with Corey Clement, I think maybe he can kind of slip into that third down role and uh, become become a pass catching back for the uh, for the Eagles. You know, we saw his explosiveness last year. You know, especially in the playoffs. You know, five ten, two twenty. You know, if Jay Ajayi also goes down. Uh, I think there's a guy that can depend on to carry the load. It's not like, not like he's smallish. But when you look at like against New England in the Super Bowl last year, four catches for 100 yards, then also five for 31 against Atlanta. You know, I think there's there's certainly some potential there. He didn't get a lot of snaps last year, uh, especially early in the season, but certainly showed uh, some receiving potential there. A little bit of potential to make plays. You know, maybe they unleashed just a little bit more. Had a 28-yard catch against the Rams uh, early last December. Had a 23-yard catch and run against the Seahawks last year. A uh, 22-yard catch and run last year as well against Arizona. So Corey Clement could become that complement to Jay Ajayi. And uh, there's some real sleeper potential there, I believe. Uh, I do have uh, Theo Riddick at number 47, but I believe that's a floor and not much of a ceiling. And then I have Naheem Hines at 49, somebody else to watch in terms of pass-catching abilities. Uh, as I was saying, James White should still be a pretty busy wide receiver for, for the Patriots, but I don't like him too much at 57. So there are there aren't a ton of specialty backs you know, overall in my top uh, in my top fifty or so, but uh, yeah, certainly a few guys there. Uh, I think Dion Lewis certainly going to catch some passes out of the backfield for Marcus Mariota. Uh, I certainly like him at number twenty-seven. It's going to be a combination of him and uh, Derrick Henry in Tennessee. I think uh, I think a lot of people are actually overrating the San Francisco 49ers. Now everybody talks about how they went five and zero down the stretch, how Garoppolo seven and zero, but just because something happens down the stretch in one season doesn't mean it translates to the following season. Momentum doesn't carry from December to September, from January to September. That's a long time, and a lot of coaches, especially within the division are going to spend a lot of time breaking down film. As much talent as the 49ers seem to improve uh, on paper, you can't look at them and you know just look at, look at it that way. This team needs time to gel. Jimmy Garoppolo has never started the season as an NFL quarterback and has never played a full 16 games. So defenses are going to be prepared for him coming right out of the chute. 
He played five games last year where there was no pressure. The 49ers couldn't make the playoffs. They were 1-10. It's more freewheeling. Now he comes out with a lot of pressure on him at the beginning of the season and a huge contract and you know, defensive targets all over him. How is he going to adjust? Jarek McKinnon and, and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo have never played together before. Uh, Pierre Garçon is coming back from an injury here. You know, this team has to develop chemistry. I think there's going to be some bumps for the 49ers. And I'm, I remain skeptical about Jarek McKinnon and what he can actually do over a full season. So am I ranking him too high at number 13? I've seen some predictions of 1,800 yards from him. But, you know, when I look at Jarek McKinnon's career, you know, what's the most what's the mo- the uh the most that he's ever carried the ball in a full season? Well, certainly not commensurate with anything that he's going to see this year. Uh you know, Jarek McKinnon is at four years in the league and he's never had more than hundred and fifty nine attempts. So expect him to be the full time feature back, you know, that's that's a bump up. That's kind of like in baseball, you know, when when all of a sudden they're bumping up your in- innings and they're talking about the Verducci effect. Last year, he never had more than 16 carries in a game, never more than 95 yards in a game. Uh, you know, we've always seen the potential as a wide receiver. That game against Cleveland last year, he had 122 yards from scrimmage. Everybody got very excited. But rushing-wise... Starting at week five against Chicago, 16 for 95. Had six catches for 51 yards. If they can get them out of him most every week, that's what they're looking for. Then against Green Bay, 15 for 69, 5 for 30. Against Baltimore, 77 yards from scrimmage. And then we mentioned the game against Cleveland. Against Washington, he had 47 yards from scrimmage. Against the Rams... 60 yards from scrimmage, and then again, Detroit, he had 54 yards from scrimmage. So I don't really see a major outstanding game other than the Cleveland game from what he did last year. So I'm kind of finding it hard to believe. Like, there's always, there's always the the assumption that that uh, that increased opportunity leads to increased production. But do we really know this with Jarek McKinnon? Can he take the banging over a full season? That remains to be seen. Jarek McKinnon's 5'9", 205. So it's not like he's necessarily built for that every week banging. Am I, am I, over, am I over-ranking Jarek McKinnon? Are people overrating Jarek McKinnon? You know, coming in, in, into this uh, into this season, so you know you got to take a look at what he did last year. And outside of the Cleveland game, there's there's nothing really blows me away. There's a few good games, etc., but nothing that leads me to believe that all of a sudden this guy can come at eighteen hundred yards from scrimmage back, as people people are indicating. I think that's a little bit of a stretch there. So I'm I'm kind of skeptical on Jarek McKinnon. You know. I'm, Sometimes as I study things, I'm always uh, moving my ranks around on rotoexperts.com. So you want to keep focused on what I'm doing there in the Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package on rotoexperts.com. 
How much do you think the regression police are coming from Max Muncy and how soon? Uh, I wrote about them two weeks ago, and I thought it was coming back then, and it still isn't coming at this point. Uh, Honestly, this is starting to turn into Chris Taylor on the same team from last year. Like At this point, it's kind of like we keep expecting it because you look at him, he doesn't profile for this kind of power. He never has, and it's just kind of like like I said, similar to Chris Taylor. Nobody thought Chris Taylor was going to do anything like he did last year. Uh, sometimes these these seasons might happen. I think they're still coming. I mean, if you look at the numbers and generally all point to some regression, but maybe the drop-off isn't going to be as steep as we expect. So I still try to sell high. I think a lot of people are doubting him, though, so I don't know how high you could sell him for because it's a name that nobody even knew to start the year. But if I can even get 90% of what he's producing in a trade, I would still do it. Because, as as you know, Scott, it's not just Muncy. But if he goes for a cold, let's say he goes cold for 10 days. This team has so many options in the outfield and on this roster that he could lose playing time immediately if they don't feel like he's going to continue to hit for the rest of the year. Some other updates here, and we'll try to get down real quick and get back to the football. I want Jake's opinions on some of the things I talked about in the first few minutes. Uh, Jorge Polanco is expected to be back from the Twins lineup today. He's eligible to return after playing his 20 minor league games. Uh, Nick Kingham is going to be called to start Monday against Los Angeles. Carlos Carrasco is going to be back on Friday against the A's. Vince Velasquez hitting the 10-day DL with a right arm injury. The Angels are expected to activate Shohei Otani this week to be their DH. Uh, they were saying that he was going to be uh, reevaluating three weeks last week. What are you expecting out of Otani as a hitter with this injury? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting too much. I mean, even when he was hitting, it was a decent hitter. It wasn't somebody like, if you're in a league where he exists as pitcher and hitter, as if they still hold, if he's the hitter only, you're probably looking at somebody you want as your fourth, fifth outfielder because one is he wasn't hitting every day all the time, and two is it's not like he was Mike Trout out there. He was entertaining. It's definitely fun to watch, and he was definitely producing. But he wasn't more than like your fourth outfielder on a team. So that's probably what I would expect going forward. I actually have an interesting question for you, Scott. If you're if you're in a league, if you're commissioner of a league and you have Otani and you have Otani like Tout Wars is for us, where he exists as two different people. If he's actually yeah, I actually own him as the hitter in Tout Wars, yeah. Okay. If you owned him as the pitcher and he's off the DL, would you make the people who own him as a pitcher take him off the DL? I just think that's an interesting question we have to deal with. Uh well they say he's not going to pitch the rest but of the year. But he's off the DL. If a play if the player is technically active I, I think you got to activate him. Yeah, it's just kind of an unfortunate yeah. situation. Outside of 2015, has Theo Riddick been basically playing on reputation? Because he was extremely unreliable last year. He's been injury-prone the last two seasons. I think Theo Riddick's reputation is maybe based on one season where he caught 80 balls, and his numbers have been dipping every season since. Uh, I don't think that it's that's necessarily that. I think it's the fact that people play a lot of PPR now, and the truth is he's always been an RB3, even in PPR, because of that inconsistency. You know, the numbers at the year, the end for Theo Riddick, he'll be an RB3. He will be again this year. The fact is, though, if you look at week to week, you're going to have to deal with, even in PPR, 
a two, three, four-point week here and there when some weeks he's yep. double-digit points. You know, you're going to bounce around. He's kind of like Deshaun Jackson of running backs. You're going to have four or five big weeks. You're going to have four or five miserable weeks, and then the rest falls in the middle. And But at the end of the year, what does that always equal out to? is RB3. It's just the ride is bumpy to get there. That's why when everybody says that, oh, I don't mind having a theoretic as my RB2 and PPR, is like, really? Because I do. Because I, I definitely mind having to bounce around with not knowing if I'm going to get 4 or 14 in a given week. Yeah, but I, I always thought theoretic was kind of overrated. You know, these pass-catching backs, it's very hard to trust them. I mean, my, my favorite is Chris Thompson because, you know, no, we saw that 76-yard touchdown run last year. That's exemplary of Chris Thompson, what he can do when he's healthy. And, you know, no, I think nobody is more dangerous out of any of the pass-catching running backs to take it to the house when they're healthy more than Chris Thompson. How much are you concerned about him coming back from a broken leg, though? It's not so much the broken leg. I just think that they're, they've realized that somebody that size, they don't want getting beat up as much as they did and potentially getting hurt again. And they drafted Darius Geis, who I think is going to dominate this backfield. Not that Chris Thompson is not going to get his own, but Chris Thompson falls into now for me, Theo Riddick, is that he's very explosive. And honestly, at this day today, as in what is July 2nd, 2018, Chris Thompson is better than Theo Riddick. But... The consistency on the touches week to week, I think, is going to be just as frustrating. Uh, if you look at this offense, it's struggled to convert inside the 10 and even inside the 5-yard line with running backs for the past how many seasons. They finally have an answer to that. So now you're looking at, again, Chris Thompson to be the theoretic, which is four or five catches per game. If he's scoring, it's probably more on his own from a good, a good amount of yards out from the end zone, which is all fine. I just think it's going to be very Theo Riddick-like in that it's going to be up and down as just as much as Riddick is. Yeah, I would say the difference between Riddick and Thompson is just I feel like Thompson can take it to the house on any play, and I just don't feel like that with Riddick. Uh, I was also talking about Naheem Hines, who Brandon Murchison in the exclusive edge package on rotoexperts.com entered the king at checkout for a special discount. He says this guy could be a poor man's uh, – Poor man's Alvin Kamara and could be a committee approach there. And, you know, maybe they're very excited about about Himes and camp and about the multiple ways they can use him. Oh, absolutely. But uh, this is a backfield I'm not too thrilled about because I think all three of them are going to be in the mix. Marlon Mack from last year, as long as he's healthy, that's something to monitor because if he's not, if he's going to struggle to come back healthy, then I get a little bit more interested because now you're down to Wilkins and Hines. And Hines is a very explosive running back, very much in the mold of what we're talking about right now, the Chris Thompson's, the theoretics of what they can do on the field. But the fact is Jordan Wilkins is arguably the best all-around running back in that backfield. Not that I think he's going to dominate touches, but that's why if everybody's healthy as of today, I think all of them are going to be in the mix, all three of them, which is a true committee and a true frustration for fantasy owners. If one of them drops, then I get a little bit more excited. But as of today, if I own any of them, it's just going to end up being whoever's last in the draft. And right now, who's last in the draft is always Wilkins. It's not Hines. Hines has been going up almost around Wilkins, uh, uh, Matt Mack at this point. Who does Dak Prescott regularly start connecting with in camp? And that's, that's going to be the guy, I think, that you want to draft. But we really don't know who it is. It might be Beasley. It could be somebody else. But none of these, none of these guys are going to scare any defenses. You know, this team's going to have to lean heavily on the run, and this could lead to even more receptions out of the backfield for Ezekiel Elliott. 
Uh, that's a definite possibility. And the fact is, Alan Hearns is a number two in real life. He's not equipped to be a number one. Uh, you, can, you said it with Terrence Williams, and I've joked about it before. This team seems hell-bent on trying to make Terrence Williams a thing, but he's just not. And the fact is, he's just not equipped to be. So similar to Alan Hearns, maybe he could be a great number two in real life, but he's not a number one. This team doesn't have a true number one. The only person on this team that has the talent to become that is Gallup, but Gallup is raw. Like I don't even on the on a team that is as desperate as the Cowboys are for talent, I still don't see him making a significant impact to the second half of the season because I still think he needs time to continue to develop. I think it's asking a lot of Gallup to step in from day one and do much and not struggle, especially when you're talking about NFL secondaries and NFL corners compared to what he was seeing in college. I think he needs some more time. If you're in a deep league and want to do one of those draft and stash and hold on to Gallup for the second and half, I have no problem with that, or let somebody else draft them, drop them, because he doesn't do much for the first few weeks, and then go pick them up around week six or seven. That's when I think Gallup could have some impact, but out of the gate, the only the only receiver I'm drafting on this team is Alan Hearns, and that's only in the 13th or 14th round as like fifth or sixth wide receiver, because at that point, there's no risk. If he has a decent season, he ends up being a wide receiver three, and that's, I think, the best-case scenario, Scott. Uh, you know, okay, that's fine. If he doesn't, uh, I dropped him. There's a 13th, 14th round pick, but I'm with you. Is I think it we could actually – the part that people aren't looking for here is twofold. Is one is Cole Beasley could easily lead this team in receptions and yards. That wouldn't surprise me. And then two is seeing Ezekiel Elliott taking that next step forward into 40-plus receptions and being, you know, not quite Le'Veon Bell, but in that conversation – maybe getting to the Todd Gurley conversation. Yeah, well – to me, I'm at number three today in the in the FNTSY mock, and to me, it comes down to David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott, or Antonio Brown. Now, again, you never know what can happen with the two picks ahead of me. You can't fully predict that, but if Bell and if Bell and Gurley go one two, I'm faced with knowing what David Johnson can do uh, versus knowing what you know, speculating what Ezekiel Elliott can do but then finally knowing what I am getting in Antonio Brown. Yeah, I think, you know, if you're looking at, too, David Johnson is very appealing there because uh, we know what he can do and we know what he still could do. Like, he still has more to offer, and I think that's the intriguing part about David Johnson. Ezekiel honestly has the best floor. Uh, like uh, Antonio yeah. Brown, I, I'm talking about the running backs. Antonio Brown's obvious when it comes, I'm just talking about running backs, period, running backs. Because if you look at him, outside of Le'Veon Bell, and you look at his career, every single game he scored double-digit fantasy points in PPR outside the one he left early. And if you look at also that, the only game he scored less than 14 double-digit fantasy points was his first game of his career. And he still scored a touchdown in that game against the Giants. So I, I think that people are underrating how safe he is even in PPR. And then, to your point, what we started this whole conversation with is if he sees more passes and opportunities this year because they need him, the floor is only going to get higher. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, yeah, I like all three of those picks, Johnson, Elliott, Brown. Uh, but I, I don't think I could take Brown because when you get an opportunity to get one of those five superstar running backs, I think you can't pass on it. It's just it's too much of a difference between anything else. But back to the Cowboys, though, do you think Deontay Thompson maybe has some uh, has some deep sleeper appeal as a deep threat? 
No, not unless I mean, he needs to win a job. I mean, I'm not I'm not looking at Deontay Thompson anything more than he's been for his entire career now. So, oh, look, he showed up and helped me one week in DFS or something like that. But you know, if Terrence Williams continues his, maybe they you know that maybe they're finally done with Terrence Williams and stop screwing around with him, and then maybe Deontay Thompson sneaks into a starting role. That's the only case. I mean, as things stand right now, I don't I don't really see it. We all know about Des Bryant, right? We all but know about none Des of these, Bryant. None of these guys are going to have any fantasy appeal. You know, okay, what about Des Bryant? But Des Bryant's got to find a team. But You, know, you got it. Uh, now, I'm only speculating. I don't, I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I believe his price has to come down. Mm-hmm. You know, he has a certain reputation. But there are, I think there are a lot of teams out there that could certainly use a Des Bryant. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at the New England Patriots and Tom sure. Brady makes everybody better. I, I think, you know, New England could be a fit at some point, maybe if he's willing to take his price down in order to play for a Super Bowl, which he could never do with the Cowboys. Uh, some other some other teams that, you know, maybe should give him a look. is like there was talk with Baltimore, but after right. they signed Michael Crabtree, it uh it, it never it never really happened. So I, I I can't see him I can't see him going there. Uh the I heard Jaguars, you talk about San Francisco. I don't know where he'd fit numbers wise. Yeah. I think Buff- Buffalo is a good spot Buffalo because you know there's, there's there's certain certainly lacking some wide receivers depth. We heard about Green Bay because you know Randall Cobb can't stay healthy and everybody else is unproven. I think the Packers would be a really really nice fit. You know what and I they, think could be interesting. Then you, then you talk about Miami. I think Miami mm. could maybe use another <laughs> veteran receiver. You know, and he's got an experienced quarterback with Ryan with Ryan Tannehill. I'm. I, I wish the Seahawks would have signed Dez instead of Brandon instead Marshall. Instead of Brandon Marshall, uh, personally, but and look, there's all it's crazy, but he could always go back to Dallas. I mean, and, I think Dallas is kind of a great yeah. fit, to be quite honest. When you think about that yeah. wide receiver room, I also think of Indianapolis because he's kind of a different kind of wide receiver than T.Y. Hilton. And I don't know if they really believe in like what is it like Chester Rogers and others. Yeah, uh, that's for their, good that spot. offense. You do know, the so Dallas I, do the Dallas Cowboys have the worst receiving crew in football right now? I'd say it's between them and Buffalo. Yeah. You know, so I, I think— So you'd say they're the worst in the NFC. Maybe. Maybe. Let's, On paper. Uh, um, I think that's actually—that that could be very possible. I think about Dallas. I think about Buffalo. I think about Indy, I mentioned. I said the NFC. Well. In the NFC, sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean— Possibly, because other Chicago, teams— have, Chicago's gotten better. Has gotten right? a lot better. The, uh, what about Washington. We're going to bring in our guy, Mike Leone, here from DailyRoto.com. We're going to talk a little bit of baseball, a little bit of football, like a two-sport athlete. I like Brian Jordan, Deion Sanders. You know, you're over here, Bo Jackson, but you like yourself a little Russell Wilson. He did play some minor league baseball. Hey, Mike, we're bringing you in now uh, from DailyRoto.com. Who is your favorite two-sport athlete? Was it Brian Jordan, Bo Jackson, Dion? Who is your favorite uh, two-sport athlete, Mike? How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. It's got to be Bo Jackson. I have a Bo Jackson Raiders jersey, and I have a Bo Jackson Royal Blue Kansas City Royals jersey. Really? Okay, so we're going to do a little bit of Bo Jackson here today, Leone. We're going to talk uh, two sports a little bit. But first, I got to ask you, did you use Bo Jackson in Tech Mobile? I mean, I think everybody did, even though it was kind of like cheating. Yeah, it was cheating. It was cheating. I tried to <laughs> even like, Peter Griffin used him. Yeah, 
I tried to, because I knew he was kind of a cheat, and I also wanted to cheat, but not as obvious. So instead, I used to always ride with the Nigerian nightmare, Christian Okoye, oh, yeah. in that yeah. game. He was a beast also. <laughs> the Bills were great, though. You know, being a Bills fan, they had the direct snap play to Thurman Thomas. Right. So they they had a pretty good, you know, of the limited Tecmo Super Bowl playbook. <laughs> right. That game, yeah. that game was the best, though. Yeah, with the Seahawks, I had Dave Craig to Steve Largent. <laughs> there you go. There yeah. you go. All right, Mike. So let me ask you this. As you know by now here, okay, I always like to ask you not necessarily just like who do you like on today's slate. I always say here for the fans of Roto Experts in the morning, we are not just giving you a fish. We are trying to teach you how to fish. And so my first question for you is this. At this point of the season or a little bit later on when we hit the dog days of summer, sometimes we start to see young pitchers specifically, right, start to come up against their innings cap, maybe start to go longer than they've ever gone before, maybe start to get tired. Is there any reason that you need to start looking at that and maybe stay away from some of these young pitchers who have flashed before earlier in the season? I think what you need to do is just keep an eye on the recent performances. Okay. Uh, For us, what we do, for starting pitchers, we care about the recent performances a lot more than hitters. And that's part of the reason why is, you know, that specific example you gave, but we always want to keep an eye on, you know, is the velocity dropping? Like if they're going up against a career high in innings and you're worried about fatigue, well, just check their recent peripherals. You know, are they still generating as many swinging strikes? So we like to look at swinging strike rate. We like to look at velocity. Those are two of the big statistics we like to look at as far as recent data. And the third would be hard hit percentage. So if you look at those three statistics, And you never want to go too overboard with the recent data, but it is something that if there's this additional context that you can layer in, which in the case you gave is a younger pitcher who's going up against uh, a career high in innings and just might be, you know, starting to fatigue. That's really what you want to look at. If you don't see any issues in those statistics, then I really wouldn't worry about it. That's the nice thing about DFS is uh, eventually you might have to worry about it, but we can take it one start at a time. When you're looking at DailyRoto.com this morning for uh, your picks for tonight, uh, you mentioned Nico Goodrum at second base because he has a matchup against Jeremy Hellickson. Uh, How off do you you really feel like like Goodrum's going to be a good player? Hellickson has you know been better than advertised, and you know how how often you, you know do you recommend going with a with a punt like that? Well, Goodrum, I believe Goodrum's going up against Gallardo today um, in, in okay, Texas. Okay, my mistake. Uh, so, I mean, often, though, when you're looking at the punt, what you're just looking for is someone who's in, in a decent context, and especially on FanDuel at times, um, but on DraftKings, too, it can be difficult to find a low-priced punt like Goodrum who's going to have a top-six lineup spot. We're projecting him to hit fifth, who's going to have – the platoon edge, obviously he's a switch hitter, so he's always going to have the platoon edge, but he's going to face a pitcher like Giovanni Gallardo, who we have with a weighted on base average baselines of like 340-plus against both right-handed and left-handed batters just because he's been so bad. The last two seasons he's had ERA, FIP, XFIP, all north of five. So uh, Detroit doesn't generally see high implied run totals, but they've got a sneaky good offensive park. It's hot everywhere across the country that's going to help in Detroit as well and as a result we see an implied run total nearing five for them which is pretty high and the other thing on this slate Scott is 
you need to find some punts that you can pay up for Justin Verlander. You know, the last few slates we haven't suggested paying up for elite starting pitching, but you just look at the landscape of this slate and just the massive gap between Verlander and everyone else. We sort of want to do whatever we can to get him into our lineup, and a punt like Goodrum allows you to do that. Yeah, we were talking about today's slate. You see Justin Verlander going today. After that, you know, you got to go down to maybe guys like Shelby Miller, Matt Boyd, or even maybe a Luke Weaver today. So absolutely, you're going to try to spend the money today on Justin Verlander. Mike, I also want to let you know, I remember telling you we're doing our face of baseball brackets and we crowned our champion over the holiday. Mike Trout did in fact win. He was the four seed, but he dominated even Jose Altuve in the finals. So Mike Trout is the Roto Experts in the morning face of baseball. But what I want to ask you about is his teammate who just returned, Shohei Otani, who has returned as a hitter. You know, how do we think about him purely as a hitter now, even after missing a month, let's say? I know that, you know, his issues are with his arm, so he should be able to swing the bat and be the same kind of hitter he was. But with that time off, you know, he was trying to adjust to the league. How do we profile Otani's value purely as a hitter in DFS? Yeah, it's difficult right now because, I mean, you generally don't see a hitter with that time off and then, jumping right back into the fold, and you don't know if there's going to be rust there. But uh, Otani, in the play appearances we have seen, 138 this year, he's been you know better than advertised, I think. You know, it's right out at the gate. He's put up a 378 weighted on base average, 238 ISO. When you look at what he's doing, he's generating a ton of hard contact. So that's really good. He's someone that, you know, left on left matchups, I think it's a pretty easy pass right now until we see a bit more out of him. But if he's going to face some weak right-handed pitching, I still think he's interested in tournaments. The issue is, you know, they're working him back slowly. He's hitting six in the lineup behind Andrews and Simmons. And uh, where his price tag is, a guy who's hitting six uh, in those pitchers' parks out west, uh, I think it's a good way for us to just take it easy and see how uh, he's reacting coming back from the injury. There's not real, He's not really in such an amazing context that we need to press it right now. And you know what? With Mike Trout, his teammate uh, – you know, that's someone, too, that on big slates, you know, you hate to, you know, overreact to slumps and whatnot. But he had that injury for a little bit with DH, and he's finally back in the field. But we've got his 15-day hard hit rate from inside edge at, like, 4%, which is absurd for Trout. On the season, he's at 31%. So on slates like this, where you've got uh, a lot of high-end outfielders, George Springer, although he's thumping a little bit, but you've got Bryce Harper, too, with Washington and a high implied run total, I think that's when you can, you know, you don't have to press a guy like Mike Trout when he's struggling. When we want to press guys that are struggling, it's just because there's a massive gap between them and everyone else at a position, and then we just trust the math. But if it's really close, you can use things like that as tiebreakers and take a more conservative approach. Mike, you guys are talking about Shelby Miller going against the Padres. The matchup is obviously good against that San Diego team, but Miller hasn't shown us anything since he's come back uh, this season so far. Yeah, it's a scary matchup. There's no doubt about it. I noted in our podcast and our analysis for today that, you know, the concern is that we just don't know where to set a skill set baseline. Like, it's only two starts, so uh, it's tough to completely scrap what, you know, projection systems have for him. You look like the zips and steamer expectations for him. They're not too bad, but... Obviously, the last time he pitched, uh, you know, 100 innings was in 2016, and he had a, a six-plus ERA for Arizona in his first year there. And 
the the concern is he's just washed, for lack of a better term. <laughs> the hard part is, and when I said, and this kind of goes back to my point, I was thinking about Trout, where when he's cold and there's some uncertainty, if there's a lot of competition, that's even if he's the top guy, if there's a lot of competition, that's a really easy you know, out to pivot off of him. But you start looking at the starting pitchers on this slate and with Shelby Miller priced so cheaply in such a good matchup. And then you look at the alternatives. There's no one that breathes a whole ton of ton of confidence anyway. So it's one of those situations where, you know, maybe our projections too high on Miller, but you look at the alternatives and it's like at that point, you know, it still seems like a good play. Uh, And that's when we, we don't mind taking chances at guys, even though there's uncertainty around them. Uh, you look at our next in line values, you know, Luke Weaver's overpriced for how he's been performing. You've got someone like Max Bride for Atlanta, who is in a really risky situation with an implied run total against 4.7, even though we saw him flash some big time strikeout potential in his last start. Um, you know, Marco Gonzalez has to go up against a really righty heavy Angels lineup. There's just not a lot there, Scott. So I don't mind rolling the dice on Shelby, even though I agree there's definitely um, concern over where his true skill set is. We're talking with Mike Leone over here at DailyRoto.com. And remember, starting very soon with DailyRoto.com, we're also going to be doing the DKMS Trivia Challenge to help people potentially win tickets for two to the 2018 World Series. Go on over to DailyRoto.com slash DKMS, and you can learn a lot more. We make millionaires over there at Daily Roto. Mike, I got to tell you something. I'm gaining on Jake in Roto Clio. I'm gaining on Jake in Roto Clio. I am now, last week. Yeah, that's right. I am now only five points behind him. And here's the thing, Mike. As you know, Jake can sometimes be like, eh, that's a little too chalky for me. You know what I mean? So I need your help. I need your help today because you were saying that, listen, Verlander is the clear class, right? So part of me is like, oh, I want to go Verlander, but then I'm going to have to hear it from Jake. And so I hear how you're talking about <laughs> Shelby Miller, right, as a potential. I was looking at Matt Boyd as a potential kind of non-chalky kind of guy. So I'm thinking about Miller or Boyd. And then offensively, I really loved the idea of Paul Goldschmidt tonight and I know you guys were saying that as well how he you know he's facing a lefty he's got great iso against the lefties and Eric Lauer is not really doing it you know so but I'm worried that he's going to tell me that that's too chalky as well right so then I'm looking at another first baseman and I'm intrigued by the idea of attacking Shelby Miller with Eric Hosmer which way do you think I should go should I I feel like what I'm going to do is I'm going to bear the brunt of Jake's uh, hate one way or the other. So should I go with Verlander and then like Hosmer, or should I go with someone like Shelby Miller, Matt Boyd, and then pick Goldschmidt today for Roto Clio? What do you think, Mike? I think you want to get, the chalk guy you want to use is Verlander. I need to get and Verlander then, in there, right? Yeah, okay. I don't know if I'm on board with with the Hosmer play. I think if you're going a little under the radar, you can yeah. go with some Mariners. If you're looking just for dongs, you know, Jaime Berea is someone we have is extremely homer prone. His ground ball rates in the minors the uh, previous two seasons have been around like 30%, which is, hmm. you know, that's absurdly low for the majors. And it's right. been a little bit higher this far in the majors, but in the minors it's been really low. So we're projecting him to be really, really homer prone. And I know Seattle's implied run total on this slate in the low four so there's nothing that sticks out so i think that counts as contrarian uh if you go with a bat there you know whether it's nelson cruz kyle seager uh, Haniger, whoever you want to go there Healy's but, hot too maybe i'll maybe i'll get ryan healy interesting where are you going for a home and, run today though leone 
I mean, uh, if you didn't, if you removed the chalk qualifier and I could take whoever I wanted, yeah, go ahead. Um, I'd probably go with Bryce Harper, who's been swinging it really well, going up against you know, an experienced right-handed pitcher. Um, so that's probably where I'd go. If you want more of an under-the-radar, well, I gave you my under-the-radar pick. Is that, is well, you, you, got, you, guys have, you guys have Evan Gaddis listed as catcher tonight. And, you know, whenever you have Gaddis in there, it's obviously for the pop. Yeah, and Houston's in a good spot against Carlos Rodon, who hmm. in his start this year, he has not seen that K rate and that ground ball rate that he's seen previously. So, and it's a, we're up to five starts now, not like a huge sample, but it is still somewhat concerning, and you're going up against a ton of right-handed batters for Houston. But I, you did point out Matt Boyd, Dane, and I yeah. did want to know, I don't like the price too much on him for cash okay. games, but on, but on this slate with so many bad pitching options, he was someone that I was really looking at in tournaments. He has a surprisingly low uh, expected weighted on base average. It's in the low 300s. And in his recent starts in particular, uh, he's been a lot better in terms of K rate. His K rate over his last five starts has been at like 23% or higher in five starts in a row. Uh, season marks only at 21%. So someone who's, you know, kind of on the upswing in terms of K rate and the batted ball data has been pretty good on the season. So I do like that for tournaments. Scotty, got one more for Mike? Oh, okay. Um, when you look at the stacks for tonight, uh, you, you really only have the Nationals and the Astros in the top two. Uh, you do have Minnesota in the top five, though, and uh, I thought that was an interesting pick. Yeah, Andrew Kashner's got a 371 X Woba, a 207 X ISO, currently has the lowest ground ball rate of his career, the second lowest K minus walk percentage. And, you know, this Twins lineup, Scott, they're. Up top, you know, they've got a decent amount of depth in terms of power. They don't have, like, that one or two elite bats, like you could say with Arizona where you've got Pollock and Goldschmidt. But in their split against right-handed pitching, we've got five of their hitters with an ISO baseline between 193 and 225. So really solid power through five guys in the lineup. Gives it a little bit more depth if it doesn't have that elite talent up top. And on this slate, too, unlike the previous few slates, we haven't seen crazy elite dominant teams up top. So it's not a bad slate to sneak out of that first tier where the chalk might be Washington and Houston and go into that second tier with someone like Minnesota. Hey, Mike, I told you we'd do a little bit of Bo Jackson action. So I want to ask you a football question. You know, I'm very intrigued by, you know, as last week when we talked about the zero wide receiver theory. And I really believe that that's the way football is going in general. I like how you mentioned that, you know, kind of conceptually, how more and more teams are going with spread offenses, how more and more quarterbacks are looking for mismatches at the line and audibling at the line. And I was talking with Scott a little bit earlier in the show that I was looking at the Los Angeles Rams. Right. And I think the Los Angeles Rams are a perfect example of this kind of theory and what I call the fantasy herd in terms of the wide receiver position. It's almost like whack-a-mole. You never know which is going to be. So let me test this theory with you, Leone. If Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, and Cooper Cup, you know, if they all play, say, 15, 16 games, right, barring injury, that would dramatically tilt the scales, do you think it's possible that they could all wind up like – within 10 targets of each other, within five or 10 catches of each other, within like 50, 60 yards of each other, within one or two touchdowns of each other. And you never will know, like all of them will have good weeks, but you're never really going to know which one it is. Like, 
Am I right that like the ceiling of the best one yeah. and the floor of the bottom one is really not that big of a gap? I, I see it the way that you see it, and I do worry that Robert Woods could end up overdrafted just because uh, he had a couple of just insane games last year, and right. his schedule for him is a lot tougher. You know, the cornerbacks that he's expected sure. to line up against this year. So uh, I'm I'm with you. I definitely see it breaking out that way. Uh, another situation that could end up somewhat similar is KC where you've got Mm -hmm. Kelsey, you've got Sammy Watkins, you've got Tyreek Hill, but I am really interested in Sammy Watkins this year. Um, I I think he could have like a hugely efficient season, even though that obviously he's not going to be a target hog. And, uh, you know, looking at the 49ers and especially for DFF purposes, Mm. I I note that everybody talks about the last five games, like momentum from last year doesn't, push from one year to the next in the NFL. You don't go from January uh, to September with momentum. And they had no pressure on them. And they have to take time to gel as well as a new unit, especially offensively. Do you think the 49ers are in danger of being DFS disappointments early in the schedule with their key players? I actually like the 49ers. I I get the angle that you're taking here with the fact that there wasn't much pressure on them. Teams hadn't seen them with Garoppolo before, but ultimately I just see another off season with him in the fold uh, for them to, to work around that. And you've got pretty good, you know, price tags and drafts on a guy like Marquise Goodwin. And for DFS early in the season too, someone like George Kittle is really interesting. Who's got some athleticism. If you look at his like spark score and whatnot, uh, who's going to be a really cheap, DFS tight end out of the gate. I, I like that. So I, I'm actually on the more optimistic side with the Niners offense. Fair enough. Hey, Mike from DailyRoto.com. Thanks for spending a couple of minutes with us. Uh, I think we're going to have you next week, and then you skip a week, right? You get some time. Uh, but we'll have you next Thursday. Uh, same bat time, same bat channel. Do me a favor. Refine that Tecmo Bowl game uh, in the interim, okay? <laughs> I will. We should uh, talk the uh, draft. $100,000 grand prize best ball championship next week. Maybe I, I'll prep Ooh. for that. Ooh, I'm excited to hear more about that because, I listen, the idea of the best ball format, obviously there's some very specific strategies, you know, that we want to get into. So maybe we will, in fact, highlight that next week. And I'm going to uh, – I, I got you down for Bryce Harper going yard today. All right, Mike? All right. Sounds good, Dane. Thanks, Scott. All right. Have a good one. So there you have it, Scotty. Uh, Mike Leone representing DailyRoto.com. Weekdays, 7 a.m. Eastern on FNTSY Radio and on your popular podcast providers. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.